that might not be on your last day's radar screen, but it's absolutely inseparably connected with what the Bible talks about when it talks about the last days. And the subject we're going to touch on today is, is this very personal subject. I want to make you feel like you're going to feel uncomfortable, but it's personal in the sense that it's so central to our lives. It's so essential to our lives it might not even be on your radar screen when you think of the last days. You wouldn't necessarily connect this topic with that. But as you'll see in the text we're going to study, Jesus did. And it's something that if you don't get this, it's going to affect your life in, in profoundly negative ways. Uh, open your Bibles, if you have a Bible with you, to Matthew chapter 18. And there are paperback Bibles under the chair seats in front of you. And Matthew's in the New Testament. Matthew 18 is page 683. That's where we're going to start. Uh, the chair in front of you has a little shelf under it. You can grab that. Peter came to Jesus, and starting in verse 21, Matthew 18, 21, and he asked Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he harms me? Up to seven times? And so he had a, a pretty relevant, pertinent question. Jesus had just been talking about conflict in the, in the passage before that. And Peter, uh, apparently, they, they, they transitioned from that location to maybe a more private location. And Peter goes to Jesus and says, what's the deal with forgiveness? Uh, and maybe he's thinking of someone. Maybe he, that person is in the room with them. And Peter's taking this moment to, you know, sound magnanimous because he says, how many times should I forgive someone who harms me? Up to seven times. And, and it was understood at, at that point, the rabbis taught that you only had to forgive someone three times and then you had to stop forgiving. You could stop forgiving if you wanted to. And so Peter thought, well, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to raise the bar up to seven times. And I mean, if you think about this, this is a pretty relevant issue in our lives. We, you know, unless you live on an island by yourself, uh, you've experienced conflict in your life. You've experienced people uh, misbehaving and, and hurting you and injuring you. And everybody has some sense of what forgiveness is, but we don't always have a, a good grasp of what forgiveness is. And now, I think the Jewish people as a whole were better taught about it than we are. But most people understand it. It's, it's, letting, it's letting someone off the hook for what they did to you. Now, there are nuances to this. I, I want to give you a, sort of a disclaimer up front. Forgiveness, forgiving people is a, is a pretty large subject. And we're going to take one slice of it today. There's, there's, there's lots of questions that you might have that I'm not going to be able to touch on because this text doesn't deal directly with it. So I want to, in my attempt to keep things concise, it's always on my radar screen, I don't want to touch on all those things that we could talk about with respect to forgiveness. But when, G when Peter asked that question, Jesus gave him an interesting answer. And it wasn't, I think, what Peter wanted to hear. How many times should I forgive my brother? Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times. I think he paused. And Peter was waiting for him to go, yeah, just three, Peter. You'd be good. And he goes, no, 70 times seven. I think, I think everybody in the room went, What? Are you crazy? 
you can think right now, if, if you just, if, if this doesn't shock you, you're not thinking about your real life right now. So let me, let me, let me take you into your real world. I want you to think in your life where you work or in your family. And I want you to think of the most aggravating person in your life. Okay, and I want you to stay there long. <laughs> who is the most aggravating person in your life? Or who is a person who just continually steps on your toes? And maybe not in, in small ways. I mean, maybe in, in large, really important ways. They keep stepping on your toes. Peter's thinking of someone when he asked Jesus this question, I think. It's a very relevant question to him. And I think you've got to ask this question. Because forgiveness, in the book of Matthew, the issue of forgiveness is a very big issue. And truthfully, the, at the heart of our lives is the issue of forgiveness. At the heart of our lives is how do we repair relationships when they've blown up? How do we respond to people who've hurt us? Because our, our instinct is to move away from them, isn't it? Or sometimes we can stay close to them, but we just like wall them off, and that's the end, you know? Or sometimes we just not just move away from them in a relational distance, we literally just cut them out of our lives. You're dead to me. And that's not an uncommon thing to happen. And forgiveness, if you read through the book of Matthew, it's this theme that keeps coming up over and over and over in Jesus' life. And everyone seems to have this deep sense of, I wish I could make forgiveness work in my life. But when I hear something like this, I mean, two questions I want to address among many we could talk about with respect to forgiveness. The two questions I want to address is, why would Jesus say that we're supposed to always forgive others? Do you understand that's what he's saying when he says 70 times 7? Because, you know, if you do your math, 70 times 7 means 490. But you're not going to keep a little, a little abacus in your wallet, and every time that person sins, you're going to pull it out. At some point, you're going to lose count. And it's obvious he's saying, always forgive people. And so you go, why would you do that? Because maybe what you think forgiveness is, is, is different than what Jesus says. And Jesus is going to explain in a little parable, in his next breath, what forgiveness is. But he's going to address, why should we always forgive? And then he's going to touch on, and, and not in depth, but how we can forgive people. How we can possibly live a life where we forgive people whenever they sin against us, whenever they harm us, whenever they hurt us, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. And if, if, what is forgiveness then? And is Jesus asking us to just become doormats that people can just walk over and back over and back over again and again and we just forgive them and and no harm, no foul, we move on. Uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. And so, Peter, I think his face registered such confusion that Jesus realized, okay, everything I've said up to this point, Peter, somehow you haven't gotten what forgiveness is all about. So I'm going to give you a parable. And parables are these short, pithy little stories that tend to have one point. 
Now, they can have layers of meaning, but you don't want to push a parable to the point where you're trying to extract every noun and you know, every single element of it. They, they all Parables are real simple things that try to make a point because they're usually spoken in a context to try to address something. And so this parable is very colorful, and it's really easy to remember. After I read this to you, you'll probably never forget this parable. It's, it's, it's very compelling and powerful because there's elements of it that, that, that catch your attention. But it has one sim- simple point, which we'll get to like in the, in the second part of this talk. But let's start reading it together. In verse 23, Jesus tells this parable. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants or with his stewards, people who he had entrusted responsibility to. So a king had carved up his kingdom and and to spheres of responsibility and he had people who were managing those areas and apparently uh, one of his servants as as the story goes here was squandering the king's wealth so he has this moment of accounting and as he began the settlement a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him now give you a a, a point of reference 10,000 talents would be from 100 to 300 million days work. Okay, so he had been entrusted with a lot of money and he had squandered it. So a denarii was a, a, a day's work. Well, what he was given, depending on the value of a talent at that time, which you know historians and experts argue what, what was a talent worth, but you could say it was roughly between 100 and 300 million days work. So... This guy was a, a bit in the red, as, as you could say. So, since he was not able to pay, the, the king ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, that sounds cruel, but that was the deal. And that was the incentive uh, to be responsible, do the best job you could, and not mishandle what had been entrusted to you. And so this man was going to be put into what used to be called debtor's prison. Now, what would often happen in these debtor's prisons was to extract the money, because a person was worth a lot. So when that man and his wife and his children were sold, that was a significant amount of money. That would make a little dent in his debt. But what would happen was they would apply pressure to his friends and family members who weren't in prison by torturing them. So it was a way to extort money. You owe a debt. You can't pay it. Maybe you've got some friends who have some cash. We're going to torture you to put pressure on them. So this is the way that debts were handled back then. This, these were the original leg breakers. You guys remember that? from the, Okay. Okay. Don't, don't. Tell jokes about breaking legs. People don't like them. Okay, just remember it. All right. So, Peter... Oh, oh, then he goes on. And the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him or felt compassion on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Whoa. We're just going to stop there. Because... 
Not only is forgiveness central to our lives, but forgiveness in this parable is central to the kingdom of God. Because the parable started with Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is like. Now, if you don't know what the kingdom of God as a theme is, it is the central theme of the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the kingdom of God was the central theme of Jesus. And what it meant was, God had promised that the world that was messed up and that had turned his back on God and, all the, and everything had fallen apart, that God was going to come into the world and bring his kingdom into this present evil, broken age and begin to, res- to, to redeem this age and at one point ultimately perfectly restore it. And so the Jewish people had this sense that the kingdom of God, when it came, the Messiah was going to bring it. And the Spirit of God was going to be on him, and the, and the dead were going to be raised, and the sick were going to be healed, and those, the injustice was going to be addressed, and love and forgiveness, and, and every good thing that they'd seen at moments in their history as the Jewish people, as the people of God, it was going to pour into the world through the Messiah. And so the kingdom of God, it, the, the, the point of the parable is to say, Forgiveness is central to the kingdom. And that it's forgiveness that's nothing like the way forgiveness is understood in the world as it is now in its broken, fallen, ruined, judged condition. That forgiveness is going to be something that's totally different and it's transforming. And so the God, he, in, in the first part of this parable, Jesus describes the gospel. He describes the gospel. He says there's a man who has taken God's good gifts, because the king represents God. He's got what the king has given him, and he's squandered it. He's used it on himself. He's, he's used it for the wrong purposes. And now he's in debt up to his, beyond his eyeballs. He's in debt for a hundred generations' eyeballs. And he can't pay it back. And the king... Instead of being angry when the man says, please give me a chance, I'll pay it back, he, he uses this Greek word that meant, give me some time, and I'll work as hard as I can for you. And the king knew, it's impossible, you'll never be able to pay this back. But it says the king looked at the man, and he felt compassion. And that's a Greek word, it's a really rich Greek word, and it, 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 it has this sense of being deeply moved. He looked at a man that had squandered the assets he entrusted to him, and he had been angry about it, but when he took another look at the man, he felt compassion on him, and he forgave him. Now, the thing about forgiveness is that makes it, because one of the points Jesus makes here is forgiveness is costly, right? You all know that. That's why we don't want to forgive more than three times or four times or seven times, because when you forgive someone, you're taking them off the hook and you're taking the hit. They've hurt you and you're saying, I'm not going to pay you back. I'm not going to demand repayment. I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to absorb the hurt and the pain myself. I'm letting you off the hook. That's what forgiveness does. And, and you're saying, I'm not going to treat you badly as a result of how you've treated me. And I'm going to do that over and over and over and over and over and over. 
And so when Jesus describes this, he's, he's telling Peter, because when you, when you read parables, generally you're supposed to try to put yourself in the parable and say, who am I in this parable and, and what does that say to me? So I think Peter immediately sees in this parable, I'm the servant who squandered everything. And Peter had already had an experience in his life when he, in one of his first encounters with Jesus. Uh, Jesus was teaching often in Galilee, which was where Peter was from. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus would go along to see a Galilee because it was a, it was a place that was really suitable for huge crowds. And he would stand on the seashore and he would use the, the, uh, the beach as an amphitheater. Well, there was a time there were so many people there that Jesus looked behind him and found a boat, a few boats, and one of them happened to be Peter's boat. And he, he stepped up in the boat and says, push out a little bit. And so Peter pushed out. And Peter's boat became the pulpit for Jesus. And he preached to all these crowds. And then when he's finished preaching, he turns around to Peter and says, Peter, go out, push out into the deep, and let's catch some fish. And Peter goes, well, Lord, we've, you know, we've, we fished all day, and we didn't catch all night, because they, they, they fished at night when it was cooler, because the fish would come to the surface. So in the day, when it's hot, the fish would go down deep, and they, throw, they didn't have nets that could go down that deep. But they said, okay, you know, you seem pretty sharp. I mean, you're, you're not a fisherman, but I don't know, you've got something going for you, so we're going to do it. So they throw these nets out in the water, and they pull in, they catch so many fish, it starts sinking the boat. Now, Peter has this really unusual response at that moment. That gift, that surprise gift of generosity evokes in him this deep sense of unworthiness. It's like, it was like his life was exposed. God's kindness exposed Peter's sinful heart, his, his selfish heart, just like all of us have. But God's kindness just just like open that up. And he fell on his knees in the boat and said, Lord, I don't even deserve for you to be in my boat. Just, you know, get away from me. And Jesus, instead of saying, you're right, I shouldn't have been in this boat. I didn't recognize what a, you know, you know, so-and-so you are. I started to say something I shouldn't say in church. <laughs> Where did that come from? That was a long time ago. And he said to Peter, Peter, from now on, you're going to be catching men. And he commissioned, he called Peter to follow him at that point. Meaning he was saying, I want you to be one of my disciples. I'm not going to, I know what's in your heart, but I forgive you. Peter experienced grace there. And I think in this moment, he's realizing, Jesus is saying to me, I've been forgiven of a lot. I, I owed a great debt to God, a, God, a debt I could never pay. I am the servant in this story. And Jesus is the king, the master of this story. The generous master who forgave. And see, forgiveness is costly. So someone bears the price of our forgiveness. And for God to forgive us, someone has to bear the price of the, the justice that's due for all the wrong that we do. And in the gospel, we know that, that Jesus plays that role. And that all the justice that we're due falls on Jesus. So that we can be forgiven. So like the servant, the king says, I'll take the debt. I will write it off. And I'll let you go. That's what he does for each one of us.
That's, that's the grace that's in this story. And when we put our trust in Jesus, we experience that forgiveness as a free gift. As a free gift. And so the first part of this parable starts and says, the kingdom of God is about forgiveness. But it's this forgiveness that's not like any kind of forgiveness you've ever experienced before. And before you can get to the point where you're forgiving of people, you need to experience this forgiveness yourself deeply because it is a complete game changer. When you experience forgiveness, when you grasp what God has done for you and the great debt you owe him, and he just wipes it out, and Jesus suffered in your place freely, then that begins to change the way you look at everybody else and how they treat you. And that's the the first thing, the crucial aspect of learning to be a forgiving person is you have to focus on the fact that you've been forgiven and the immensity of what you've been forgiven is so amazing. God's compassion is so overwhelming. If you let that do its work in your heart, it begins to change your heart. Now, the trick is, a lot of people just get that as an idea, but they don't get it as an experience. And then you can tell they never, ever become forgiving people because they just have a doctrine, but they don't have a debt that's been canceled. They haven't experienced it. They haven't felt it. It's something that that hasn't changed their lives. People go to church. People hear the gospel. People see their friends changed lives. But it never takes root in their life. And so they're just as unforgiving as anybody else. But when you've experienced forgiveness, it, it does something to you. And it doesn't mean it's not going to be a challenge. Forgiveness is costly. And again, we, we're not going to get into every detail of what forgiveness is. But this is the starting place. So when you start considering becoming a forgiving person, this is where you have to start. And a lot of us, we have this innate pride in ourselves that I'm not that bad. You know, other people need a lot of forgiveness. I just need a little bit. But this parable brings everybody down to the same level. So when Peter was looking at his friend who he needed to forgive... Jesus told this parable because Peter lost sight of the immensity of his own sin. And he was looking at this other person as, I am a good person, he's a bad person. Bad friend, bad. You deserve to be judged. And Jesus told him this parable, say, no, Peter, the way you need to look at this is differently. Now, when he, he gets to the next part of the parable, let's read it. It says, In verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii or a hundred days wages. So remember we talked about a hundred million days wages versus a hundred days wages. It wasn't an insignificant amount of money he was owed. He grabbed the man and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and it uses the same phrase, verbatim that it used for his begging the king to be forgiven. This second servant begs the forgiven servant in the same way he begged the king. It says, please give me time and I'll pay you back. But the man refused. 
Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the earthen servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went out and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant! I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? This isn't a very complicated parable, is it? It's very straightforward. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then the punchline, the point. Jesus doesn't often explain parables. Here is one of the rare occasions where he goes, Peter, I think you're a little dull. So just in case you know you can't grasp what's in your face about this parable, I want to let you know for sure. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, a lot of us have ideas about God, that, that God's just so soft-hearted and we don't understand his justice. And we, again, we don't understand the gravity of unforgiveness. So let, let me, let's back up here. So if you withhold forgiveness to someone who owes you much less than you owed God, your behavior should shock you. It didn't shock this man, but it shocked the people around him. They went, what is he doing? Fellow servants who'd heard the compassion that he experienced, they were shocked. They were stunned. They couldn't understand this because you know what's happening? This is, this is the thing about forgiveness and, and judgment. Listen closely here. When, the reason why this is a really serious sin is when you choose to withhold forgiveness, you choose to play God. You say, I can judge people. That's a very dangerous posture to take. And it's a, it's a, it, it, is, it is the posture of Satan himself. It is a, a posture of hubris and pride that is so destructive. And God takes it seriously. And he says that I, uh, uh, the, point, the point you can take away from this, I'll restate it, is unforgiveness is far more costly than forgiveness. When you weigh forgiving people and what it costs you, and it is hard to forgive. I'm not saying it is, you know, it's like drinking a milkshake. It's just, wow, it's easy. I love to do this three times a day. You will not enjoy forgiveness ever if you understand what you're really doing. You're, you're letting someone off the hook. You're bearing the pain of what they did. Now, there is no relief in paying them back. There, there's, been, there's been plenty of wonderful stories and movies and plays where people, at the heart of the narrative, have, have explained that there's no freedom that comes from paying people back. But we believe somehow deep inside us that we will feel better if they just get theirs. It's just not true. And what Jesus says, in fact, you won't feel better. You will, it will cost you personally. And that God himself will bring, will, will bring consequences into your life 
for your act of unforgiveness. Now, this is what the last days is about. The last days is about forgiveness and judgment. These two things are side by side. You can see them side by side in this parable. Salvation and judgment are two sides of a coin. God's going to deal with evil, but to deal with evil, he has to bring judgment against evil. And so people who've experienced and allowed God to judge evil in their own hearts, sincerely, they're going to be people who realize there's a better way to live than a life of judgment. I want to live a life of forgiveness. I want to increase comfort in the world and increase love. I don't want to decrease it. Because when we judge, because we, we can't judge the way God does, all we do is bring more pain and trouble into the world. So we compound the first sin against us with another sin. And, you know, as our mom and dad taught us when we were kids, two wrongs don't make a right. doesn't make it better. And so Jesus is teaching Peter that. Because we all fall into the posture Peter had when he looked at the other person and said, that is so wrong what you did to me. And you've done it over and over and over. And we feel so justified in saying, I'm not going to forgive you. So Jesus tells this parable and says, God looks at you and he's just as hurt by what you do. He's hurt by many of your behaviors towards him. He's hurt by how your behavior impacts people around you. And the pain it brings into his good world. But he forgives you over and over and over for that when you ask it. So here's the cost. Uh, Andy Comiskey gave me these points years ago. When you choose to withhold forgiveness, you become consumed with getting even. You think about punishing people. You, you will avoid them as a way of punishing them. You will gossip about them. You, you might not lie, but you'll tell secrets. You'll repeat the thing over and over and over because it's a way of paying them back. You get consumed with getting even. You become choked with bitterness. Bitterness is something that one of the other uh, New Testament writers calls a root. And you know about weeds if you have a garden that if you don't get the root out, the weed comes back and, and it will spread. And the writer in Hebrews says, get rid of bitterness because it will become a root that springs up and defiles. It defiles. So bitterness will spring up and it will spread in your life. And it will not just be something that's only focused towards one person, your bitterness will begin to spill over in your relationships with other people. You'll become conformed. This is one of the saddest consequences and costs of unforgiveness is we become conformed to the person that we won't forgive. We can't get them out of our head. And we just keep thinking about what they did to us. And the more you focus on something, a person, the more you become like them. And you begin, I've, I've watched people become bitter at someone and take on the traits of the person that they hate. How does that happen? See, forgiveness freezes from that. We think if I forgive them, I'm going to, they're not going to get punished. God says, I am going to be a God of justice. I'm going to right every wrong. But you didn't want justice and judgment. Why don't you... Embrace that and show it to other people. 
But we will become conformed to what we won't forgive. We begin to close the flow of love in our lives by hardening our hearts. This begins to affect everyone around us. This is one of the sad things. God turns us over to these tormentors because he says, if you don't want forgiveness, I can't force it down your throat. If you can't rejoice in the forgiveness I've shown you and then show that to other people, I'm going to step back and just let nature take its course. And it will. I've been a pastor for 30 plus years. I've talked to thousands of people. I've heard the intimate stories of, of more people than I could ever remember. But this has happened more times than I can tell you. And Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you have a good heart. Don't let yourself become corrupted by unforgiveness. It will ruin you. It will wreck your life. And, he, and, he, and finally, this is a warning in this parable. Whatever we believe about our security as believers, this parable implies what Jesus says and what the apostles say in other texts. If you practice certain things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That there's a point where you decide you don't want Jesus, you want something else more than that. When it means practice, it means it becomes a lifestyle. It means it becomes so important to you that it's more important to you than God. And greed can do that. Sexual immorality can do that. Unforgiveness can do that. Idolatry can do that. Stealing, lying. All the more serious, sort of weighty ways of violating God's will all become something that can take over our lives if we give our lives to Him. And there's a point where God just steps back and says, that's what you want. If you don't want me, I'm not going to fight you. You can have what you want. Because many are called, but few are chosen. And there's a, there's a weight to this unforgiveness in this parable that you have to take seriously. If you want to be a forgiving person, you're part of the age to come. Jesus showed it, and it's costly. Now, I'll show you in a second where it came from. So, application. Are you withholding forgiveness from anybody today? We can't get into how to forgive, but the question is, are you, will you, before God today, be willing to forgive that person appropriately in the right way at the right time? Because there's a lot more we could say about forgiveness. You don't have to do it right now. But in light of this parable, are you willing to forgive people who've hurt you? And when we talk about forgiveness, does anybody come to mind immediately? Does, anybody, does, does someone's name pop up? Or maybe several people. Faces. Times. Places. Because memory is really an important thing for our lives. It's a very good thing. But we also live in a fallen, sinful world. And memory will become something that haunts us too. But God doesn't leave us in that place. He's given us the option of experiencing forgiveness. And, and when we forgive others, it frees us. It changes us. It lets us go from the grip of what they were doing to us and what they did to us. Even if it happened years and years and years and years ago, there isn't anybody in this room who doesn't know Honest to goodness, the time doesn't heal anything. You may have forgotten about something. It takes three seconds for someone to say something or do something to you to bring you right back to that place that you thought time had healed. It doesn't. Time doesn't heal anything. 
it's part of a process of healing if you have other elements there. And forgiveness is the crucial one. You experiencing forgiveness. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, he showed us, he modeled to us, that forgiveness is costly. As, as, as he was being crucified and he was being mocked and ridiculed and shamed and made an object of scorn, he was saying, to, he was, as he's in pain on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Because we don't. When we don't forgive people, we have no idea the enormity of what we're at, about. And so Jesus gave us this model, and he says, if you put your trust in me, I will live inside you, and I will give you the grace to do what you couldn't do on your own. Because no one could forgive more than Jesus had to forgive at that moment. None of us. And he says, I know you're not capable of it on your own, and so I will come in to your life and rescue you from the pain of being betrayed and being hurt. And I will forgive through you if you will yield your will to me and allow me that room in your life to do that. And that, that what I want to ask you to, to, to pray with me today to do is to start a journey of forgiveness. Because it's a journey. It's not a stop on the bus line. You get off here, you deal with forgiveness, and you move on. No. Your whole life will be a journey of forgiving people. And sometimes it's a journey of forgiving certain people because it takes so long to work through the damage that certain people who are big in our lives can have, can have caused us. So if you're here today, I, just, I just want to ha have a simple prayer. And I'm not under the illusion that a prayer is magic. But a prayer is a starting point where we connect with God and we open our heart up to him, and he begins to invade our lives, and he begins to pour his grace in to help us to do what we struggle to do on our own. And most of us in this room have experienced that before. And the times that you need God most are the times he's nearest. And you may be all sitting here right now as I look out at you, and just sort of calm and composed, but some of you inside have a tremendous amount of turmoil in your life because this subject, because your memories, and because the choice that you've made, maybe because it seemed like the best choice you had, maybe it's what you saw everybody around you doing that they didn't forgive, and you just thought that's the way you get through this stuff. It's not. The way to get through it is to imitate Jesus. It's, it's to take the costly journey of forgiving and, and allow the grace of God to, to comfort you and meet you and rescue you and, and absorb, just like the king absorbed the servant's debt. The beautiful picture of this parable is the king wanted to be there for the servant and, and give him the example, as much as a, a parable can illustrate this, that I want to help you to have the kind of heart of compassion that I had towards you. So, if, if you could, uh, let's see, Shanna, are you here still? Shanna, somewhere? Shanna, come on. I'd just like to have some music in the background. Uh, and let's just pray. We're going to close and just pray. And what I want to ask you to do is, if this, if, if this resonates with you, 
And in a point in this prayer, I'm going to give you, I'm just going to pause for a minute, and you can put in, in this prayer, someone's name, or maybe more than one name. And as you'll see as we pray, I'm not asking you to forgive anybody today. As I said, forgiveness is a journey you go on. But every journey starts somewhere, doesn't it? And maybe you've been on this journey before, and what this teaching has just showed you today is, I'm stuck. I, I, I got off in a rest stop because this journey's hard and I'm tired, and I just, I've been here for a while, and I'm not getting anywhere. Well, then it's time to get back on the road. And some of you, you're going to start the journey today. You've been white-knuckling it through your life, and, and God has grace for you. He wants to change the way you've lived your life, and it's, forgiveness is at the heart of it. So why don't you stand with me? And if you could, just, just close your eyes and, and pray with me. I'm going to pray a phrase, and then you can just repeat it after me. I'd like you to repeat it out loud, because when we say things out loud, there's something about it that our whole person enters into that's different than when we just think it in our head. It's not that you're not sincere, but there's something about speaking it out loud and confessing it and agreeing with it and verbalizing it that your whole person begins to get engaged by it. So just bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, thank you for speaking to my heart today. Thank you for being so generous to me. Thank you for giving my many, many sins the sins I've committed against you and others. Thank you for the death of your son, Jesus Christ, who's paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future. Please forgive me today for being unwilling to forgive. And just silently, you say to the Lord who you've been unwilling to forgive. Father, please pour out your grace on me today so I can be free from the tormentors in my life. Today, with your help, I commit my life to follow Jesus on the journey of forgiving others as I've been forgiven. In Jesus' strong name, amen. Now just stand here just for a moment. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you the Holy Spirit, that the forgiving heart of Jesus would begin to grow in you in new ways. And that the rich mercy of God that you've experienced will become a well in your heart springing up and that you will begin to have compassion on those who've hurt you. And that this journey that you've committed to go on. In Jesus' name, I bless you that that journey would be fueled by the love and compassion of God in your life. And I bless you today in a new way with His presence 